The Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, for the way you see us always as your beloved children. Help us to see you and our neighbors and help us always to follow the call of your spirit. And now, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you are familiar at all with the geography of the city of Raleigh, you'll know that it, like many cities, has a highway going in a loop around it. In Raleigh's case, it's called the Beltline 440. Way back when I was growing up in Raleigh and in high school in the first decade of this millennium, the social strata of all of the youths of Raleigh was determined on whether you were ITB or OTB, whether you lived inside the Beltline or outside the Beltline. I was just about as far outside of the Beltline as you could be. I commuted like 45 minutes into the city every day for school. And especially that freshman year, I lived in fear of being discovered and deemed unworthy. It's funny, isn't it, how everywhere you go, there are always certain designated places out there that are deemed lesser. Be careful when you go to that part of town. Oh, that person lives on the other side of the tracks. This morning in our gospel text, we see that it's even biblical. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We all have our preset prejudices and predispositions. But the thing about them is that they cut in both directions. It was certainly true for me. As an OTB kid, I just grew to despise those kids that lived in the Beltline just as they did me. It's an easy cycle to fall into, to let those differences that we impose on ourselves divide and harden our hearts. Now, a few years after my high school graduation, by some stroke of luck or by some work of the Holy Spirit, I got my first ministry internship working in all places at a large downtown church in the middle of Raleigh. I was assigned to mentor a small group of seventh grade boys, all of whom fit all of the stereotypes I had grown to not like. 
down to the boat shoes and the Brooks Brothers and the bow ties, the whole thing. I went in skeptical, to say the least. But it was ironically in that experience where, by the end of the semester, I first began to feel my own call towards youth ministry. Those kids ended up showing me that all of the predispositions I had were, well, they were all wrong. And I found out that Jesus could show up and take root in places that I couldn't begin to expect. Now, the gospel passage we have before us is one of my favorites in Scripture, simply for the fact that it shows that, yes, there is a place in the kingdom for the cynical and the sarcastic. There's hope for those folks out there. And something good can, in fact, come out of Nazareth. When Jesus encounters Nathanael, cynical and skeptical, he actually commends him, calling him an Israelite without deceit. Quite the compliment, considering how the original Israelite, Jacob, earned his fame by deception and by conning his brother out of blessing and birthright. Nathanael is an interesting fringe character in the New Testament. Though he's mentioned as one of the first called disciples here in the Gospel of John, he doesn't show up at all in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And even in John, he's mentioned only one other time, the very end of the Gospel, chapter 21, where he is given an epithet, Nathaniel of Cana. Cana is coincidentally a neighboring town of Nazareth. He is, in that passage, mentioned as being one of the only disciples that Jesus encounters in his final post-resurrection appearance. Cynical at first, but once committed, committed to the end. Now the fact that Nazareth and Cana are neighboring towns only about six miles apart, and given Nathaniel's cynicism, begs a question. It's easy to wonder if there was an ancient rivalry between these two towns. The simple and easy interpretation of this passage is that Nathaniel is cynical about Jesus and his origins because, well, he wasn't from Jerusalem, and Nazareth was out in the sticks. You see, Jerusalem was the place to be, the city of prophets and kings, where the temple was located, where the presence of God rested on earth. Nazareth, by extension, was out there. And in the logic of the Hebrew Bible, that meant far away from the presence of God. How could anything good come out of a place like Nazareth? But the fact that John adds the epithet of Cana to Nathanael just at the conclusion of his gospel complicates things. Perhaps Nathanael's cynicism is more directed at his neighboring town than anything else. Jesus, it seems, has come from the wrong side of the tracks. Not only is he not from Jerusalem, but he's from over there, that place where we're not supposed to go. Perhaps it's only natural, only human, that Nathaniel, bound to his local allegiances, burst out in cynicism when Philip tells him about Jesus. And so this uh, cynical, sarcastic saint points us back to perhaps one of the original sins, perhaps the original sin, thinking we know best. Creating, as it were, our own boundaries and distinctions and subsequently letting them blind and bind and divide us so that our favorites, our comforts, our confidences 
drown out the cries of our neighbors. It's a slippery slope to becoming cynical to the point that we write off others who are different than us. It's a slippery slope to become oppressive to our neighbors, even in tiny little ways that we might not think about. It's an easy way to cope, especially in a world that seems to drown with hurt and sorrow and destruction. But the good news of our gospel text today is that Nathaniel was an easy convert. All it took was a small, yet powerful and profound miracle. I'll direct you back to your gospel passage. Jesus, Nathaniel asks Jesus, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. The miracle is this, simply that Jesus saw Nathaniel, that he noticed him, right, across whatever lines of division or distinction there were, that even when we blind ourselves, the good news is that knowingly or not, God sees and seeks and searches us out. Jesus sees us, even in our blindness, and God sees through us, even when we can't see ourselves and acknowledge our own flaws. Perhaps the most beautiful exposition of what it means to be created and known and sought out by God comes from the psalm that is paired with our passage today, Psalm 139. The psalms are sung responses to the Lord, and this one in particular is a reflection, supposedly, of King David on the master craftsmanship of God. We, each of us, and all of us together are God's handiwork. God not only crafts us, weaving us together in our mother's wombs, but God also sticks with us throughout our lives, constantly searching us out in a way that is both challenging and comforting. God's always there, for better or for worse. We can't flee before his presence. Not only does God know us, God knows the course and the shape that our lives will take and journeys with us through it all. Now David, the psalmist's response to this, is a deep-seated existential humility. The psalmist goes on to admit in this psalm that they can't wrap their heads around God's nature, God's action in their lives and in their world. And this isn't in your passage for today, but the psalmist goes on to end with these verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The way this psalm ends feels a whole lot like a prayer, a simple petition. Keep seeing me, God, and help me to see myself. Search me out. Show me my flaws. Lead me in your ways. In the midst of all of my and our prejudices, when we feel callous towards our neighbors or ourself or our world, it's a prayer to keep us honest, to help us to remember to bring our whole selves before God, the God who forms and knows and searches each of us out. It's a prayer to help us be mindful of God and God's handiwork on our and your fearful and wonderful craftsmanship and purpose 
and call in the face of each of my neighbors, in the midst of all things. And who knows? It may just be that those places where the Spirit is leading us, where Christ is calling us, follow, come and see, we might find Jesus there in ways that show up and surprise us all over again, despite our cynicism. It could be, dear siblings in Christ, that God is calling you this day beyond your comfort zones and into the unknown. It could be that God is calling you back to see your neighbor, a small and profound act, to see your neighbor for who and whose they are, fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator who wills life and love and flourishing for all. It could be that Christ is showing up growing up, even in Nazareth, or in, insert the blank here, that place wherever you think is least likely. And it all starts with the most unlikely miracle of all, that God sees us in our good, in our bad, in our in-between, in those moments when we feel cynical and closed off like Nathaniel, in those moments when we feel exhausted and tired, weary and worn, like we aren't enough to face the brokenness of the world or even just the mundane struggles of our day. Yes, even in those moments we are seen, we are searched out and discerned by God, we are loved. And we can rest in the knowledge and in the promise that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that Christ sees us and journeys with us. When we find the courage to rest in that love, when we find the strength to lay aside our divisions, to take off our blinders, we too can see not only ourselves, but also our neighbors as God sees us. Beloved, fearfully, wonderfully made, master craftsmanship, and called for a purpose to spread that love that God has for us across any and all boundaries that would stop it. And who knows, it could be that with Christ, we'll see even greater things than this. Amen.